The views and opinions expressed on the Untold History Revealed podcast are solely those of the individual stating them and are not necessarily those of the Untold History Revealed owners. Sit back and grab a cup of coffee or tea as we discuss some moments in history that may have been untold or forgotten. Another episode of Untold History Revealed starts now. Hi, gang, and welcome to another episode of Untold History Revealed. I am your host, Sean Donnelly. And I'm your co-host, Marianne Donnelly. Uh, This is episode 11. Wow. And tonight we're actually going to... Probably most of the show is going to be you there, uh, Mrs. D, uh, because this is going to be a forensic episode. Um, We did talk about a couple murder cases already. But this one is actually the first murder case that was solved with the use of DNA. Correct. It was. And another topic that you're well-versed on. Yes. You actually teach this. I do. Uh, I teach this particular case every year when I introduce in my biology class the idea of Dr. Alec Jeffries and the invention of DNA fingerprinting. What I find interesting about this, you know, but of course I'm getting older. Okay. Is that this was not that long ago. We're only no. talking 1983. Right. You know. Well, 83 to 88 is basically the time span of yeah, the still, whole. That's our lifetime. This yes. isn't something that was discovered in the 1900s. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. The deep, early yeah. 1900s. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, uh, so, uh, before we get started, let me explain uh, who we are, what we do, and what this is all about. Uh, Untold History Revealed is a podcast Marianne and I put together. We do it every week. It comes out 9 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Um, and we're the owners of Dark Shadow Ghost Tours and PanicD.com. We do a lot of paranormal research and research for other things. And we've put together over the years a large collection of all different tidbits and uh volumes of things of different cases and historical facts and stuff like that so we thought just as a hobby we would start start this podcast and uh, record some of these things and have them out there for future generations um kind of telling uh a little bit about the true history uh, not necessarily what you learn in the movies and on tv or even history books sometimes get it wrong too so that's true um so uh, tonight uh, we're talking about uh, what's the guy's name? Colin Pitchfork. Unfortunately, yes, we're talking about Colin Pitchfork. Hey, what's the name like Pitchfork? You got to be guilty. <laughs> he is an admitted killer. <coughs> All right, so uh, why don't you go ahead and start us off? And uh, most of this one, I'm just going to sit here and listen. Okay. Maybe jump in every once in a while, but go ahead. This one's all yours, dear. <laughs> all right, so. Basically, as Sean kind of was mentioning, this is back in the 1980s. Uh, It happened over in Leicestershire, England, Narborough, England area. Uh, Leicestershire is where uh, Dr. Alec Jeffries was when he was discovering this whole idea of DNA fingerprinting uh, at Leicestershire College. And then uh, the murders were actually happening in Narborough, England. And uh, the first murder actually was November 22nd of 1983, uh, and that was the um, murder of Linda Mann, a 15-year-old girl. Uh, she was on her way to her friend's house uh, one, well, one evening, November 22nd, and uh, she never came home. And uh, they called the police. They're like, oh, my gosh, my daughters didn't come home. Uh, they were worried about her. They did end up finding her body uh, on a, a footpath or a little shortcut uh, that how, they called you know that as uh, the black pad. She was missing. Stumped you already. I, I, I should just shut up. Yeah, seriously. Um, it wasn't that long. It was no. Uh, the second girl was found two days after, but I can't recall how long it was for Linda. It, it wasn't that long. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. It wasn't. Um, in, in fact, it 
it could have been the next morning. I, I think I, it was. Because uh, the only reason why was, I know is we just kind of watched the video on this. You, kinda, you, yeah, yeah, I wanted you to have some background, yeah. so I wasn't really paying that much attention. But I think it was. The next um, day. There was a guy, and he was going uh, along the path, taking a shortcut from where he was at. Uh, on his way to work, and he saw the body, and he thought it was a mannequin. He's like, "Is that a dummy?" So let me. I said this was going to be all yours, but I'll, I'll kind of oh, okay. jump in here a little bit to kind of explain these footpaths. Okay. So people would understand. Okay, um, you know, especially if you're from United States or living in an urban type area, not really urban, but in a little town or something, you're not going to really understand what the footpaths are. But basically, if you think about, like, say there's a farm or a field um these footpaths were little trails basically that connected to um streets so yeah, they were just they, little shortcuts you could only walk down them you, you couldn't drive down them but right. they were like pathways for people to walk between two different areas basically so that's what these footpaths are okay mm-hmm. go ahead yeah <laughs> so um anyhow they they kind of the guy's like oh my is that a dummy he goes over there and he's like yeah um she's really dead and so he kind of calls the police and and they come over and they find the body has been strangled um she had been um sexually assaulted um they said that she didn't really have a lot of injury to her body so it looked as if she really didn't um struggle fight back so she was kind of taken by surprise yes she was taken by surprise died fairly quickly from what they were able to identify in the autopsy and they think that she may have been raped after she was murdered um which that's kind of important because the the next one yes um but basically they immediately thought that this was the work of a psychiatric patient because literally not a few hundred yards away from where the body was found on this footpath is this psychiatric facility Carlton Hayes Hospital and that actually plays a big role in this case as well that psychiatric hospital Uh, and I'll come back to that a, a little bit later but they really thought it was a patient at the psychiatric hospital that did this. So that's, they were looking into those guys. Um, didn't really come up with much of anything. Didn't really um, have anybody in mind. And so what they did was they're like, okay, so let's put up some surveillance at her funeral because these guys who do, you know, murders and crimes and things often come back to the scene of the crime or they come back to, um, you know, places and things that are related to the crime. And so they put up this surveillance at the funeral itself. Now, I don't know as a parent whether I would be into that or not. Um, I'm not a parent, so I I don't know. Um, But they let them. I don't know. I guess I would look at it as, well, you know, these guys are trying to solve this case. And from what that video explained is over in England, um, they take investigations, which they call, what was the word? Murder inquiries. Inquiries. They take them very seriously, and they bring in, like, everybody, and they're working on this case to solve it. So um, I I wouldn't probably look at it as a parent of saying, you know, these guys are trying to do their job and trying to solve this case. So if that's something they have to do... They didn't go inside no, the they church. Were they like were just outside the filming the people who were around the area right. and things like that. Just in case, you know, hey, you never know. This guy could be just standing there just watching the people come to the funeral to see what he caused. Right. You know, but yeah. that's just my opinion. Okay. On All right. Well, in any case, they didn't find anybody of interest then at that surveillance either. And the case sort of went not cold they were still working it but it it was basically a cold case um and three years go by and suddenly there's another murder that has a lot of the same um sort of techniques that went and were in use and things like that 
and uh, it was actually July 31st of 1986, and it was uh, this time another 15-year-old. I don't know if I mentioned that Linda Mann was 15 yeah, or not. Yeah, you did. Um, but another 15-year-old, uh, Dawn Ashworth, she goes missing. Um, she went to her job. Uh, she had a little after-school job. She worked at a newsstand. How, you know... I don't, I don't know what the word is I want to use, but she became the news the next. Ironic. Day. Yeah, ironic. Yeah. yeah, she worked at a newsstand and then um, she became, she the, news. became the news. Yeah, uh, but she so. was walking home from her job at the newsstand. She went down another footpath. A different footpath. A different one. This one was ten pound lane, uh, and again, within a mile or so of the Carlton Hayes Hospital and she doesn't come home and her parents call the police. My daughter didn't come home either. Um, two days later, they find her body. Um, now, here's another thing that I, I, I found interesting on okay. the video. Okay. She didn't come home that night at 9 o'clock is what they said and they called the police and the police started looking for her. It's not like in the United States, it's 24 hours or something like that before we could file missing person. Yeah, report. but with kids but, it's different even here in the United oh, States. Is it? Yeah, okay. it, adult, so adults. Yeah, Amber adults it has to be 24 okay. hours, but kids But it was immediately still. she didn't show up. They called the police and they began Right. Right. But immediately they I mean, they here it's another kid and they're like, "Uh-oh. Uh hope this isn't." And it turned out it was. Uh, really, pretty much the same case. Um, but this one was a little. This different. one's a she little bit a different. Struggle. Yeah, she had a lot more damage to her body, to her genitalia, and things like that. She actually fought back, so she was quite alive. Um, it, it was a little bit longer. She was still strangled, still raped, um, but they think she was raped alive, um, and. Um, it just was uh, very much the same, but it was a little more aggressive. And uh, what I find interesting besides the fact that she worked at a newsstand and she became the news was she went to the same school that Linda Mann did. They were both 15, a couple years apart, but they may have known each other. I mean, right. it's not like... You know? Probably saw each other. Yeah, they well, so. they had to have seen each other, but um, and what what was the town name? Uh, it's in Narborough, England. Narborough, yeah, which is a small little village. It's I mean, not, it's not a tiny village, but it's not a big city either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they 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 would have come across each other. I don't know. Uh, in any case, they did find her body, um, and this time though they had a lead. This time, uh, somebody had seen a guy hanging around 10-pound lane. And they said, okay, well, let's go check him out. And it turns out he was a kitchen helper at the psychiatric hospital. And they're like, oh. Uh, so they, they pull him in. He was a 17-year-old boy. Uh, his name is Richard Buckland. And... Um, was kind of known around for scaring kids he liked to scare the girls that he would come across you know he'd jump out and try to scare them or whatnot uh as they walked home from time to time and so they pick him up they bring him in and they're like let's let's chat here richard and they have him in questioning for 15 hours and after 15 hours he admits to killing don ashworth because of the similarities to the Linda Mann case, they're like, did you kill Linda too? And he's like, no, I didn't kill Linda. And so he adamantly said he did not murder Linda Mann. But he's like, yeah, I did Don Ashworth. And so that was really what brought DNA into this whole case. And what actually eventually... Well, the police were... were 
they just thought, yes, he had to do both because the cases were so similar. And, and, and he also knew a lot of stuff that they hadn't released to the public. Yeah. He knew how the body About was the positioned. Yes, for yeah. the second case. Not the first case, but for the second case. But he knew how the body was positioned, you know, like where things were. Um, he knew way too much. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, he definitely did it. And you know what? We're just going to pin this other one on him, too, because the guilt, MO's the same. Guilt by association. It, just not by association so much as <laughs> everything just fit. The yeah. puzzle pieces were all the same. And so uh, they went ahead and they said, let's, let's try to figure this out. Let's try to um, see if we can tie him to this other one. He says he didn't do it, but we think he did. And they wanted to be 100% accurate of closing both of the cases. Yes. They wanted to give closure to the Mann family. They wanted to give closure to the Ashworth family. So they're like, we think this is the guy. We know this has got to be the guy. Um, And so they went to Dr. Alec Jeffries at Leicester University. But how did they know about him? How did they know to go to him? Well, it had been... So let's back up just a little bit. Okay, you know, explain okay. about Dr. Jeffries and what he was doing with DNA. Okay, so Dr. Alec Jeffries was uh, working at Leicestershire University, and he accidentally sort of stumbled across, as most scientific discoveries that are really cool happen to be, it was an accident. He ended up figuring out that DNA was different for everybody. I forget, but what was he working on? And uh, he, came across he was that. working on immigration well, cases and paternity cases. No, but there was something else. Was he working on, like, uh, I think he was working on, um, no, I think he was working on, like, medicine and stuff. Like, it, how medicine affected certain people. And he stumbled apro- uh, across this DNA process. Yeah. So, um... Anyway, he comes he comes at this and he is in the news a lot. He's figured out how to identify one person from another by their DNA, which you can get from pretty much anything in your body except for red blood cells, of course. For those of you who don't know, red blood cells do not have a nucleus, and so therefore they would not have DNA because our DNA is found in the nucleus of our cells being uh, the type of organism we are. So he's able to get DNA out of semen. He's able to get DNA out of white blood cells. So you can get it from blood. You can get it from, you know, skin tissue, any anything, okay? And uh, he does this through a process that he's developed called RFLP, or Restriction Fragment Length Polymorphisms, and I absolutely love saying that. My kids at school always find that interesting, too. Uh, They're like, seriously, can you say that again? And I'm like, yes, I can. Uh, So uh, he's working on this Restriction Fragment Length Polymorphisms, which basically looks like a barcode. Restriction Fragment Length Polymorphisms. Uh, It basically looks like a barcode. Okay, so uh, you've all seen at this point in time, you've all seen the DNA analysis that they have for showing the banding patterns of DNA uh, in cases. And if you haven't, again, you're sort of living under a rock. Um, But you can look online. There's lots of pictures of DNA, you know, uh, fingerprinting banding patterns that you can look up. And basically you compare the banding patterns of one individual to the banding patterns of another individual, and you see that they're all different. They don't match. But if they're from the same Un- individual... Unless they unless, don't match unless they're identical twins. Correct. Do you know how identical twins are actually formed? Yeah, it's splitting the, the egg. Yeah, basically you After have one fertilized. egg that is fertilized by one sperm and in See, early I'm gestation. Not completely stupid okay, when it comes okay. to science. In early gestation, uh, basically for some unknown reason to us, uh, it just somehow splits and then you end up with two babies. But they started with the exact same uh, egg and sperm and so they have the exact same DNA. So they also call this process the DNA fingerprint. Yes. Because. Yes. Because it's different for everybody, except for identical twins. Now, let me get off topic. Do identical twins have the same fingerprint? No. 
No. No, they do not. But they have the same DNA fingerprint. Yes. Now, okay. fingerprints on your body, uh, fingerprints, toe prints, ear prints, lip prints, all that kind of stuff, you get all of those from the swirling action of the amniotic fluid while in gestation. Wow, and that would really throw off a case. It if has. it was identical yeah. and the fingerprints didn't match. Right. Wouldn't it? Yes. That'd be like uh, you oh, can. I got a headache. Just I always tell my kids. It. I always tell my kids at school about this, and I and I tell them all the time. You know, you better make sure you don't have an identical twin. And they're like, Oh, I don't. I don't. I'm, sometimes I do have identical twins, and I'm like, you better make sure you don't take them off because you know they might frame you for a murder someday and leave their DNA wow. behind and. <laughs> They're gonna. You like, tell your kids this. I do, I do, uh, and That's and great. especially my identical twins. They like look at each other because sometimes they're in the same class period and everything, and they're like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, the RFLP that he was working was something that was in the news a lot, and. They're like, so that's how they this know about might be something that, we might be able to use to tie these things together. That research lab where he was at is not far from where all this took place. Either, no, right? no. They're, they're relatively close, like 10, 20 miles apart. I mean, it's, yeah. it's ridiculously close. And uh, so all those newspaper reports would definitely have leaked over. Maybe yeah. not necessarily too far, but far, close enough here that they were able to identify it and say, this is a good idea. Uh, yeah. So that's where they kind of headed next. So they were going to him just to say, hey, can hey, you, Doc. Can you help us Here's out? our situation. We've exactly. got this guy that's saying that he did this one. But didn't do this one. we think he did both. And they had, they had samples. They had semen samples from the autopsies of both cases. And they had, of course, Richard Buckland. They had him in custody, so they got his sample, uh-huh. uh, and they requested that Dr. Alec Jeffries take a, a and try to do a comparison between those semen samples from those two cases and from Richard Buckland. Okay, well, you know what? I think uh, we're a little early, but this is a good uh, good spot for a cliffhanger. It is. It's like a dun 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 dun. All right, so we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll come back and. Uh, let Marianne uh, continue on on how this case unraveled and little kicker in there. Yes. Right? Yes. All right. All right. So stay tuned and we will be right back. Mark your calendars. Close your doors and turn off all the lights. As twice a month, BTE Radio brings you a new episode of The Haunted Spotlight. Sean and Marianne Donnelly of Dark Shadow Ghost Tours dig deep into the archives of the Panic D database and take you inside a different location with each new episode. Learn the rich history and hear the paranormal claims of some of the most infamous and unsuspecting locations from around the country. Ever wonder what roams the property? or lurks behind those closed doors? Curious about the true history of that creepy house that sits down the street? Want to know what evidence a paranormal investigation group may have captured? Then find out every other Sunday and tune in to BTE Radio for another chilling episode of The Haunted Spotlight, if you dare. All right, and we are back, and we're talking about the case of Mr. Pitchfork. What's his first name? Colin. Colin. Colin Pitchfork. Um, and I forgot to mention, too, in the beginning, um, if I ever get caught up on our blog posts, we have a blog site that is untoldhistoryrevealed.blogspot.com, and uh, maybe I could put some pictures up there about that DNA uh, fingerprint stuff that you know we were talking about. But anyways, continue on with your story. Okay, so just before break, basically, we were mentioning that um, the police in uh, the case went to Leicester University to Dr. Alec Jeffries to see if he could do some of his magic with this newfangled thing called DNA fingerprinting um, and try to, you know, prove that 
Buckland did, in fact, kill both Linda Mann and Don Ashworth. And again, he had admitted to killing Don Ashworth, but not, he, he emphasized he was not the killer of Linda Mann. He admitted so, to it after 15 hours. After 15 hours of interrogation, interrogation. he admitted to that. 17-year-old boy. Yes. Now, um, basically, they took the semen samples from the two murders, and they took the sample from Buckland, and they ran the DNA analysis, the RFLP, and came back, and not a match. To either one. Well, there was a match between the semen samples from the two murders, but not... To him. him. So he did not match either of the two murders, but the two murders were unmatched. So they did have proof that the same male committed both crimes. Correct. It just wasn't him. It just wasn't the guy who said he did it. Great. Yeah. So they're like, okay. Being being that lead investigator. Yeah, you're like, like, heart just drops and you're like, oh man. Here we go again. So they had had. Buckland in custody for over four months through this process, and they released him because he was became the very first individual who was ever exonerated of a crime using DNA evidence. Even though he confessed. Even though he confessed. And uh, so the question is, why did he confess? You know, here's what I'm interested about is, like, Okay, this is brand new stuff. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like how how the courts like recognized that and said, you know, but okay, correct me if I'm wrong because I think in that video they said they did all kinds of tests, just testing, testing to make sure that they were right before they released those results. Uh, yeah, right? absolutely. Then they they, send it they out did it multiple times at their own facility. Test. They had yeah. other people do it. They wanted to make sure it was actually working. Well, could you imagine that, like going to the courts and saying, trying to explain that to judges who were like, what the frick are you talking about? I never heard about this before, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that happens, and- that happens a lot. As new technologies <coughs> come into play, I mean, yeah, there but is What if a- the judges said, you know, what if he's cranky that day and said, nah, I'm throwing it out. We're not talking about it. That yeah, kid, and it's a possibility. The kid could still, well, he wouldn't have been a kid now, but he could still be in jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the police at this point are like, yeah, okay, must not be him. Which gets back to what I was saying. Over there, they are really into the inquiries, and they want to solve the case. They want to solve it. Not, Absolutely. Not like, okay, we got, and, and I think they said in that video, too, that this was very rare for that community to have these murders yeah they didn't have murder that happened it's not I mean, like new it's... york city where it's like okay we got to get this one done and on to the next right thing because yeah. we got like five of them piling stacked up. up yeah um it was not something that was very common occurrence at all and especially to have all your teenagers right. that are being raped and murdered well, and strangled even after and, the second you one, know and I, correct it, me if i'm wrong after the second one this this created a little bit of you know, mass hysteria in the community. They were all frightened. Oh yeah, they're but they like had a serial you can't go, can't go anywhere by yourself. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, one was bad enough. Now you got two, and 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 that was that was yeah. pretty pretty drastic. Yeah. Uh, so they did not stop there. They they knew they had to release Richard Buckland, and they released him. And everybody's like, why did you say you did it if you didn't? You know, and he basically said that, you know, interrogation was too hard. They they thought it was him, so he just said, yeah, because it was just too, yeah, it was just too hard. Why do you think, though, that he knew so much about the case? Personally, I think he found the body. He he's to my knowledge, he hasn't admitted that. Which would have been close to where he worked. It yes. And he just didn't report it, or right? He didn't report it. He was probably too scared scared because he didn't report it. You know, he was scared to report it. Then he was scared. Well, I didn't report it. Now I'm telling them stuff, and so you know what? They think I did it. So I'm just going to say I did it. Um. I ask my kids all the time after I show them this video as well. Uh, and I ask them all the time. I say, well, you know, would you admit to doing something that you didn't do? And uh, 
So I'm going to ask you that. Would, Would I admit? you admit to raping and murdering someone no. or doing anything else uh, if you didn't do it? If I did not do it, no. Okay. If I did do it, I'd admit to it. You know, but you know me. You know how I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm, I live on truth mm-hmm. because truth's funnier than <laughs> anything else in the world. Yeah. You know, but that's just how I am. If I if I if I did it, I'd admit to it. If I didn't, if it was fifteen, thirty, forty-five a week interrogation, I. I wouldn't admit to it. Why admit to something you did not do? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. and But as a 17-year-old, and I seen the guy, you know, in the video, I <laughs> could have got a little intense for some weaker type okay. person. Yeah. My, my students, you? no, no, <laughs> there's no way. Yeah. Uh, but my students, it's always interesting to see which ones of them say what. Uh, but some of them will say... Yeah, I probably would if it was really, in, really interrogation was that long. They were probably just beating it down. You know, I probably give in eventually. Others are like, "Are you kidding me? What are you stupid? Why would you do something like that?" And uh, then you know, I ask, "Well, is there anything that you would admit to, and why would you admit to it?" And um, sometimes they'll say, you know. Well, if it's, you know, like stealing a stick of gum or something, maybe, or maybe if it was to protect somebody in my family. But other than that, they're like, no, if it was just some like random act and I didn't do it, no, there's no way. So that's always interesting for me when I ask the kids about that. Because they're approximately, my students, by the way, are approximately the same age that Richard Buckland was uh, when the crime happened. So, uh, So Richard Buckland gets out. And they have no new lead. So they're like, all right, well, we can do this DNA test on more people. So let's just um, ask everybody to come in and give us a DNA test. So they, they decided an age range that was appropriate for individuals who would probably do this type of crime. Didn't they say in that video that from... What they got from that male specimen, it narrowed it down to like 10% of the male population or right. something like yeah. that. Yeah, the, so the That's how they determine like age and blood, blood type, type and, and yep. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but they didn't know everybody's blood type, um, so they asked for everybody, but they only would test the ones whose blood type matched the killer. Uh, so it did cut down on the number of tests because they had 5,000 people come in and give blood. So that would have been a lot of DNA tests. And we're talking the infancy of DNA testing. It wasn't like this was like a $5, you know, yeah, I can <laughs> experiment. Imagine the cost. So, Jeez. yeah, it was, it was important to narrow that number down. Now, this is that thing that you run in class where it, you hook it to a battery and it mm-hmm. takes hours to yes. do that. Yes. Is it still like, okay, that's in your class with a nine volt battery, but in a lab, does it still take that length? Of yeah. Running? If the, if you're running RFLP, yes, it's still going to take a long time. It actually takes, um, RFLP start to finish is usually about 10 days, 10 days. And they did 5,000. Well, they didn't do 5,000. They got 5,000 samples. They only did 10% of those. Oh, well still 500. (laughs) Holy cow. But yeah, so that's like the standard, but we don't really use RFLP anymore. Um, we've graduated a little bit further along since then. Uh, we use PCR and we've used computer, um, we, we let the computer do it now rather than just, you know, electricity. Uh, but even that, it'll take about two days Still. to do start to finish of the process. It's definitely not like on television. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that go into it before you do it. You have to, you know, extract the DNA from the cells and you have to, you know, put the um, um, markers in there. Again, um, it's I'm like a... I wonder who paid for that. I know it didn't have that in that case, but somebody had to cough up the money for all that testing. And right. And well, it's police testing. Yeah, still, uh, here in the United States, or... here in the United States, you know, the agencies that are doing the um, the investigation are in charge of that. They have, you know, so much funding 
Wow. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not incredibly large, but... So. Uh, they got a lot of samples. <laughs> I'd say. And they had to deal with those. Uh, they tested, as I said, about 10% of those. And... No match. No match. Nobody who volunteered to come and give blood tests who was in the appropriate age range uh, matched their killer. So they're stumped again. Um, and and all this stuff's coming out in, in the papers, right? All oh, yeah. Along, yeah, yeah. Publicized yeah. Now, many investigations are kind of dealt with with the idea that somebody's eventually going to talk. Yeah, somebody's going to come mean, forward. Even at even in school, you know, somebody does something stupid. Eventually, somebody talks. Somebody brags. Somebody tells something else about it to somebody else, and then you know they're like, "Oh, did you hear?" You know, so people talk. So they're like, "All right, it didn't work out for us, but eventually, maybe." I think the police call those leads. We call them rumors. We yeah. <laughs> they just follow up on rumors and yeah. Know. Well. Eventually, somebody did talk. Uh, there was a kind of after-work type of party sort of thing happening. A bunch of guys went down to the local pub, and there's this guy, Ian Kelly, who just so happens to get a little tipsy and starts bragging about the fact that he, in fact, took the blood test for this particular case... For a guy named Colin Pitchfork. And this one woman overhears and she's like, yeah, that's not good. And so she actually called the murder inquiry team. And she gets them to, for the first time, look into Colin Pitchfork. If it wasn't for her sitting at that bar and uh, Ian Kelly getting a little tipsy and kind of spilling the beans a little bit, we may never have found him. But uh, they did, in fact get Colin Pitchfork, they um, arrested him and uh, did some blood testing and turns out he is a match. He's the one that did He's it. the one. Uh, he had been arrested before for indecent exposure. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, he had been referred for therapy <laughs> to Carlton Hayes Hospital, the hospital that Richard Buckland was a kitchen helper at and the hospital that was just a few hundred yards from the first murder and about a mile from the second murder. Wow. Uh, so it's not like he didn't know the area. you know. So they, they looked at him hard. They got his DNA sample, and it was a match. So how how did this other guy, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that they had to have some sort of identification or something because they even do today for ACT testing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like a DNA test. I mean, how did he like go and take it for this other guy? I mean, how did he get away with doing that? Well, in fact, uh, he's like, all right, uh, let's go get a passport picture taken down at the local, you know, mall. And basically they changed Colin Pitchfork's passport picture to be a picture of Ian Kelly. And then they sent Ian Kelly off to get this blood test. So Mr. Pitchfork knew that, you know. Oh, yeah, he knew. He, he knew that uh, they're going to, this DNA was definitely going to. Yeah, and he was one of the guys who was in that set that's like, you need to come and do this blood test. And so he basically talked Ian Kelly into doing it for him, saying, you know, I already took it for somebody else, so I can't give it again, oh, so um, would you take it for me? And so he's apparently a very weak-minded man, and he's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Sure, no problem, dude. Yeah, so he went, he took the blood test for him, and eventually uh, he just got a little too tipsy and talked about it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when Pitchfork was actually arrested, he did admit to it. He admitted to both of the murders quite readily. It wasn't something that was, you know, an incredibly long time. Uh, and the police basically said that, you know, 
he admitted to it because he believed in the DNA fingerprinting, and he knew that he if he gave this blood, he was going to be a match. Yeah, they got you know? him. I mean, he knew that he did it, and he knew that he was going to be a match. You know, uh, so he ends up uh, getting uh, convicted of murder. Um, he was the very first individual ever who was convicted of a murder based on DNA evidence. Um, That was on January 22nd, 1988. And he was sentenced to life in prison for the murders of the two girls. And where is he now? Well, funny you should ask. Um, It's almost like we have a script. Almost, but not. Um, (laughs) He is actually currently uh, in prison, but... He is sort of moving. Um, he is 55 years old now, and for a little bit of time, he's been uh, trying to get paroled. Uh, and just this April, he was um, basically, uh, they kind of came out April, May, and said, you know, we're not going to let you have parole. But we're, we're suggesting that you move to an open prison. And so the parole board, that was their decision. And everybody is like, are you kidding me right now? Uh, Because for those of you who don't know, uh, an open prison is pretty much like a halfway house. Um, It is an informal, uh, it's a penal establishment in which the prisoners are trusted to serve their sentences with minimal supervision and perimeter security and are not locked in prison cells. They may be permitted to take up employment as well while serving the remainder of their sentence. Really? Yes. Um, And in the UK, open prisons are often a part of their rehabilitation plan for prisoners. Um, And so that is what the parole board suggested for him. And uh, And I've been following this. This was, oh yeah, April, May this year. Okay. And they've been like going back and forth, you know. The parole board suggested this, but it wasn't going to be official until they, uh, the prison system actually said yes or no. And, you know, obviously the relatives of the murder victims were, no way, you can't do this. You know, he's going to, you know, he's been a good boy, yes. However, um, still killed two he's girls. still killed two girls. He's still, I mean, he's only 55. You know, in today's day and age, 55 is quite young. Um, Look, he wasn't in Texas. He'd be dead. Uh, he. <laughs> he oh, I got Texas oh, target goodness. on my back. Yeah. Um, but he basically um, would be able to come into a, a lot more contact with individuals that are of his liking, you know, these young girls. I mean, if he is permitted to go to the open prison and permitted to get a job. He yeah. has a lot, he'll have a lot more access. And they're like, yeah, he's been a good boy, but that's because you took away his prime target. Right. Uh, and as of this month, uh, on June 8th of 2016. That's this month, yeah. Okay. Uh, no. Last month. Last month, okay. Um, on June 8th, 2016. Uh, Justice uh, Secretary Michael Gove agreed with the parole board and he is now going to be able to be moved to an open prison. Wow. Yeah. So, lots of people won't be interested or won't be happy with that. So, I'm interested to see if he remains a good boy um, what kind of Looks. Oh yeah, to, people are going to be looking at this you know, guy, like, kind of like Lizzie Borden. Yeah, you know, except for yeah. Lizzie was acquitted, he was actually convicted, and they said, you know, convicted with DNA evidence. <laughs> yeah, and he agreed that he did it. Yeah, you know. So I have some more tidbits to kind of go along with this. Go ahead, you got five minutes. That's it. Okay. Um, so first thing is, uh, what happened to Ian Kelly? You know, uh, Ian Kelly, he took the blood test for Colin Pitchfork. He was convicted of conspiracy to pervert justice. 
So he was convicted. He was given a 18-month sentence, but he didn't have to serve it. So on the books, it's like, yeah, hey, you're a bad boy. You shouldn't have done that. But then they went, slapped him on the wrist and said, that's okay. We'll suspend your sentence. And so he never served any time uh, for that. Colin Pitchfork. He was, at the time of these murders, married and had two children. While he's been in prison, he, uh, well, his wife divorced him. I couldn't imagine. Can't imagine why not, but she divorced him. The kids, as far as I know, the kids don't have anything to do with him. Um, That may or may not change. I don't know. Um, But especially the kid that he took with him on his first murder. What? Oh, you didn't know that? No. Yeah. um, on, On the murder of Linda Mann... It turns out that he actually had his son in the back seat of his car while he raped and murdered Linda Mann. No. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that until about a year ago, but, um, yeah, he sick, right? Like, yeah. it's bad enough you do something like that. You take <sighs> your kid? Are you kidding me right now? They're putting this guy in a open prison open prison yeah um so he left his son sleeping in the back seat of his car while he raped and strangled linda mann with her own scarf by the way and then he drove home and put his son to bed sicko yeah uh and then um colin pitchfork as i said has been being a good boy yeah yeah while he's been in prison he has found art and he actually has become quite artistic and and adept at folding paper well he's got Um, plenty of time on his hands well he did yeah uh he has created some uh three-dimensional art pieces out of music paper music sheets um actually photocopies of music sheets because i guess i don't know he wasn't allowed to have the real ones i don't know uh but he took and his most famous piece is called bringing music to life It was purchased and displayed at the Royal Festival Hall back in 2009. It was made with uh, copies of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And it's actually a three-dimensional orchestra with all the little individual people and their instruments and everything. I mean, it's a really, really awesome piece of art. We'll have to put that up on the Um, website. Unfortunately, it was by a murderer. Yeah. Uh, And so... That actually got the Royal Festival Hall sort of a little bit of trouble. I mean, people started giving him some backlash for displaying this piece of artwork that was, you know, by this killer. And uh, they eventually did, you know, sort of take it away. They took it down. Uh, it is not on display there anymore. But um, he was paid, it, it was, uh, the piece actually brought in 600 pounds, which is um, a lot of money, you know, and he got half of it. Well, he's been in prison. He was allowed to use... So he made money while he was in prison. He did. You know. Hey, you need some money for that commissary, right? You know, I was wrong. You got four more minutes. Ooh, Because we stopped the first half early. Oh, okay. Um, So, artwork. Prisoners. Should we display that kind of stuff? I don't think... I mean, displaying it, but I don't think they should be able to. I mean, the money of of the sales of those should have went to the victims' families. Mm-hmm. You know, shouldn't have went to him. Yeah, uh, that's my I, opinion. Yeah, but. from what I understand, like some some of the money went to a charity, but why not to the victims' families? Yeah, you but know? he got he got half of that. So, um, I don't know. Again, I ask that of my kids at school, and, and they're kind of... Sometimes it gets into a debate. Yeah. Now, yeah. It, like, it's art. It shouldn't... It's it's meaning on its own. It doesn't have anything to do with the artist itself. I would and, love and, and to hear from people, our listeners what their opinions are about yeah. these questions, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then others are like, he was a rapist and a murderer. Why would you want to, you know, glorify that? So well, there's people out there that collect that kind of yeah. sicko stuff. You yeah. Know? 
I mean, he's not the only person who's been in prison that has. You know, oh no, no, no! Done I, I, that's what I'm sitting here thinking of others, but I can't think any of them. You know, I know one of them was a I congressman. Manson. I think Manson did too. You know, congressman. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, he. Yeah, we won't talk about that today. But um, just for the record, the original case um, when it was at trial, the original. Um, judge was Justice Otten, and he called Colin Pitchfork callous and cunning, and he should, and he basically said he should never be allowed out. But that's apparently the 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 prison system is saying right now, yes, we're um, Michael Ju- uh, Justice Secretary Michael Grove is agreeing with the parole board that he should move to an open prison, but they're also at the same time saying, but that doesn't mean that he's going to ever really get out. You know, just because we're saying he can go there um, doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get out. And they said that moving the inmates to open prison does not guarantee eventual release in any form and adds public protection is their top priority. Well, then why move him? He shouldn't have a, a chance for parole with double homicide, but that's my opinion. So We have too many of these creepos in the world. We should just... Yeah. Well, obviously, they they knew there was a problem with this guy to start with. I mean, he had been... Obviously. You know, took his child to a murder. He took his kid to a murder. He had been referred for therapy at a mental institution, basically. Um, a psychiatric hospital. They he exposed himself to people. Did, yeah, he, indecent exposure. You don't think that's going to happen again? It, it just seems like he was going... Uh, he was progressively getting worse. I mean, it started indecent exposure, then he did murder and raped after murder. Sounds like then he, he kept did pushing it, rape pushing and it, murder while he was alive. Yeah. yeah. So, what will he do now? Has he really changed or hmm. not? We'll see. So... All right, well, that kind of wraps up this episode. Yeah. Thank you for all that information. You basically ran with the, with this one. Yeah. I got a couple posts. We've got to put some pictures. Maybe we'll put that picture of his... His art. His art. Yes, his uh, bringing music to life. Yeah. All right, so uh, you can uh, connect to our blog site, which is untoldhistoryrevealed.blogspot.com, um, and see some of these posts. When I get caught up, I'm a little behind. Um but uh, also on there, if you scroll down on the right-hand side, there's a little form that you can fill out, and you can send us your comments and questions or anything that you have, and we would love to hear from you. And um, other than that, I am Sean. And I'm Marianne. And you have a good evening. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Untold History Revealed.